This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 51. This is Writing Excuses, wrap-up on the year of character. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not going to get through all this in 15 minutes, but we're going to try anyway. So, <laughs> we have come to the end of another year of Writing Excuses. Um, I think there's another episode next week, but this is kind of the end of our character year right here. This is also the episode where we say farewell to... Valin Mayatani. Aww. Aww. Valin, you've been awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast. But you still have one left to do with us, uh, where I'm going to throw kind of hard questions at you guys, such as, um, let's do this one. <laughs> I, I got, these are hard questions. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, okay. I'm, you I'm ready for these hard guys. questions. All right. That's fine. All right. Are there characters in fiction or some sort of story that you've read that have changed your life in some way? Either recently or in the past. Yes. Okay, yes. who are they and why? I don't actually remember the character's name, but the story was Heavy Weather. The novel was Heavy Weather by Bruce Sterling, and it is a character who is uh, handicapped, has a hard time breathing, joins a group of storm chasers, and at one point, uh, one of the characters asks him, so what do you hack? And the term hack meant, what is it you do? What are you good at? And at the beginning of the story, he couldn't answer the question. And they're resource-strapped. Getting an education is hard, but he sets out to learn things. And at the end of the story, the thing that he can hack ends up being really important. And that moment really stuck with me, that someone was asked, what do you do? And he couldn't answer the question, so he went out and made an answer. Can't remember the character's name, but I loved that. That's awesome. Dan, you said yes. I did say yes, and I'm just trying to decide which one. Um, and as cliche as it is, uh, the bishop from the first 70 pages of Les Mis. Yeah. Um, I mean, they he gets like one scene in the musical, and then you say, oh, that's going to be cool. I'm going to go read the book, and you realize the entire first like 90 chapters of that massive book are all about this guy before we even get to Valjean and you just learn about this bishop and who he is and why he is so nice all building up to the moment where Valjean steals his silver and instead of accusing him he gives him all the rest of the silver and says here I've I've bought your soul for God go be a good you, person you, you forgot some um yeah and he 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 really did change me because he's just an incredibly cool guy. So one of my, my all-time favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird. And I first read it in the sixth grade. I was 12 years old. And Atticus Finch, his the that character has just 
stuck with me forever. And there is a line in that book where he talks about walking in someone else's shoes. And that that is something that has stuck with me for so long. And also um, just trying to, I, I, I think that as we, as a writer, that's what we have to do all the time is walk in someone else's shoes. But I was also just so I, I, in awe of his ability to do the right thing no matter what and, and no matter what other people thought. And I think as a child, especially that young, you're always worried about what other kids think about you. And having grown up in Utah and being Japanese-American, I was always worried about what people thought about me. And so I loved that where you just do what you think is right, no matter what anyone else thinks. And that was very life-changing for me. I've often mentioned Dragonsbane. It's one of my favorite books. Um, Jenny from Dragonsbane is the main character. Um, What this did to me, it's more meta than what you guys, you guys have inspiring characters, and I actually, I love Les Mis. I've often mentioned that. But to be different, uh, what changed with me when I read this book was it felt like, and I'm probably wrong on this, but it felt like society had taught me that as a teen boy, I should read books about teen boys, right? And I was so bored of the books people were giving me. And this is a book about a woman, middle-aged woman having a midlife crisis, kind of. Um, in a fantasy world, it's really cool. She's choosing between her family and magic and stuff like this. And, you know, she's probably younger in the book than I am now. But in my head, it was like, (laughs) this woman is so old, you can't get more removed from who I am. And yet I love this book more than any book I have ever read when I was reading it. And I, it was part of what taught me, you know, all that stuff about, I should be reading only books about 14 year old boys when I was a 14 year old boy that it just threw that all out the window said, no, I'm not in, I, I mean, I'm sure there are great books about 14-year-old boys, but that's not what I have to read. I can read anything I want about anyone I want, and I can find it more interesting when they're really different from me. And that was kind of game-changing for me and my, my, my teenage brain, particularly because the woman in the book reminded me so much of my mother. Mm. Um, and in, in kind of good ways. Like, she reminded me of my mother because my mother had always had to choose, when she had been in, in college, she chose in between having me and going and getting a prestigious degree in accounting. And she'd always talked about, you know, this choice where she went back to accounting, but when she had a young kid, she wanted to raise the kid. That was her personal choice. And as a teenager, I had always thought, well, of course she did. That I'm (laughs) awesome. And in reading this book, I was always like, get your family, woman. You can be a wizard. Lee, go do the magic. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's the choice my mom made. Accounting is magic to her. Um, and it was one of these really eye-opening things. So yeah, there's, there's my Dragon's Bane rant if you haven't heard it before. Um, <laughs> let me ask you guys this one. Uh, is there a character you want to write about or that you've tried writing into a story and they failed that you still want to but haven't found a chance to get in the right book? And if so, who are they? Uh, why didn't they work? Or why haven't you found the right story for them yet? Well, in the... In the book that I'm currently working on, it's called Seven Deadly Shadows. I'm co-writing it with Courtney Alameda. It's a Japanese young adult dark fantasy um, with all these yokai demons and every twisted Japanese monster you can think of. We had this character that I wrote that 
I absolutely loved. She is a teenage girl. She is a lollygoth and dresses really cutesy and has the filthiest mouth you have ever (laughs) heard. And we had to cut her because she just didn't really add, she just wasn't adding to the story. And I hope at some point I can use that character just because I love the idea of having this cute little like Sailor Moon type Mm -hmm. girl (laughs) just running her mouth off at everything. You know, mine is similar. I actually just found a place for them. About four or five years ago, I came up with this idea for a character who, as a little girl, loves stories of like barbarians and like Genghis Khan and like great warlords and always spoke in these dramatic like, I will drink the blood of my enemies from their skulls as like a five-year-old. (laughs) <laughs> um, which just I'm like, and then I'm like, ooh, I, I'll grow her up to a teen, and she'll still talk like this. Um, and I didn't write the book, and I didn't write the book, and I didn't write the book, but I finally found a book to write. Uh, it's actually should have just come out last month called Skyward. Um, but I finally found a book place for her. There's other characters still floating around, but that's the one I've kind of had a quest to get right for a while, and it, it finally kind of came out. <laughs> it, she's she's so much fun to write. Um, I have twice now over the last, you know, 10 years of my career, tried and failed to write a specific book, um, that is kind of my, you know, take Gaston from Les Mis, or not Gaston, uh, what's the name of the little boy? Oh yeah, Gavroche. Gavroche. Take Gavroche and grow him up into Enjolras and Mm -hmm. show that entire process of the street urchin becoming the rebellion leader. And i that's like a holy grail for me. And I've tried it twice. I haven't gotten it to work. At some point, I'm going to make that work. In the course of creating the Planet Mercenary RPG, I wrote a dozen or more encyclopedia entry type things about locations that mentioned you know, various people. And, and you know, I did the first drafts and then I went back and added details here and there to make those people more interesting uh, insofar as I was able to fit that in encyclopedia entry stuff. And many of them are so interesting to me. I just want to sit down and write entire stories about them because that's how you end up in the encyclopedia is by, you know, being important and historical and and fancy and interesting and cool and, you know, stealing spaceships and whatever. And their, their stories are not mine to tell yet. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. 
And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to stop for our book of the week. We have a special treat for you guys this week. We have Dan, the audio man, as we call him. He's Dan Thompson, our audio recorder for all the episodes recorded uh, here in Utah. Sometimes we have other audio recorders abroad, but Dan has been helping us out for a number of years, and he never gets to be on the podcast. Everything you hear from us (laughs) runs through his wires, and yet... We never hear his voice. In fact, Brandon and I haven't even let him talk yet. <laughs> so he's going to give us a book of the week this week. Oh, perfect. Thanks, guys. Um, book of the week this week is actually Mysteries of Cove. It's that series by J. Scott Savage. It is about a young boy named Trenton Coleman. He grows up or he grew up in... A world where, as as you start reading it, you don't realize the world's inside of a cave. And um, the various things that he sees, he views, he does, is based around the fact that he has never left being inside this mountain. Um, And in the book, being an inventor is actually a curse word. So... I don't know what else to tell you about the book except for it's. <laughs> but you love it. I, I yeah. love the book. I love the um, the descriptions that Savage gives. Mm-hmm. I love how he introduces the characters, the character arcs that are in the book. It actually, his character arc takes several books to develop out, and, um, and that's awesome. The name of the first one is. The name of the first one is Fires of Invention. Excellent. 
Thank you to Dan the Audio Man for our book of the week. I've got one last question for you, and then we'll talk, we'll do just a little bit of housekeeping, like we're talking about what we're gonna do next year and things. But your last my last question. Who are the best and worst characters you've ever written? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> best and worst characters that you have ever done. Worst as in, I really screwed this up? Yeah, kind of sure. Worst? How, however you wanted to find this. Okay. It is very hard for me to pick any character other than John Cleaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because I've written six books and a novella and two short stories about him. I know him backwards and forwards, inside and out, and I have taken him on two incredibly long and painful character arcs. Um, so, yeah. I, I got to say John Cleaver is is certainly the best developed and one of my favorite characters to write. Um, in terms of the worst character I've ever written, um, oh, man. In a published book or? In, it, does, it can be unpublished. <laughs> it can totally be. Because if it's an unpublished, I, uh, I'm, I'm currently uh, going on my Patreon. I'm, I'm going back through some of my old trunk novels and, and writing annotations on their chapters. And uh, I had a guy in, do you remember The Legend of Crag? Yeah. The Barbarian? Uh-huh. Crag was okay as a character. He didn't really come across well. Uh, but the character that totally falls down in that book, in hindsight now looking back, is uh, his sidekick named Drudge. One of the weird conflicts in that book is that people who die don't actually die anymore. They just wake up and are still there. And the first person that happens to was named Drudge, and he was supposed to be my kind of snarky, evil, zombie thief character, and he just never works. His character is different (laughs) from chapter to chapter. Nothing he does is important or adds to the story except for the fact that he exists. Maybe naming him something (laughs) less 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 on the nose. Yeah, he wow. he didn't he he didn't work. So I'll force myself to go next, so you guys can think some more. Um, best is always hard, right? Because people ask who's your favorite, and I can never answer this because I'm like, well, it's whoever I'm writing right now. That's who my favorite is. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the best and most nuanced? Like, what does that even mean? Um, I'm kind of on a Dalinar high right now because I just finished Dalinar's book, so it's probably Dalinar right now. But I don't know if he's actually the best. Um, worst. I'm going to take a different uh, tack on because I'm going to answer this. The character I probably treated the worst in the Wheel of Time because uh, I inherited 2,000, 2,200 characters, I think is named characters. Wow. Um, and um, the one I think I flubbed the most is probably a character named Patton Fane. Um, and it's not like I knew I was flubbing them, but judging on fan reaction after the fact, um, he is the one that there's the consensus of, Brandon just did not do a good job with this character, didn't seem to know what to do with him. And in truth, when I was writing him, I was just like, oh, yeah, this guy, we'll do this thing with him. Um, and it was just kind of part of my big, massive You weren't a Padden Fane fan. I wasn't the Padden Fane <laughs> fan. Well, I didn't even know that I wasn't, right? I was just yeah. like, oh, of course he just does this thing over here. Like, I didn't even, it wasn't like You me didn't saying, know that there were Padden Fane fans. Yeah. That wasn't um, a thing. And there are other characters of, that I've done that, uh, that in the Wheel of Time that are controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I did as, as bad a job. And on some, I got better at and on others, I defend my interpretation, but I have no defense for this character just because uh, universally people are like, yeah, he just 
it, it just dropped the ball, vanished from the last book when they felt like he was supposed to have a really big part in it. Okay, well, I'll go next. Um, I think the characters, I say this, they're not main characters, but I think the characters I did the best um, were in Ink and Ashes, uh, her brothers. And the reason why I say that is because I've gotten so many comments on how realistic their relationship is with their sister and how uh, they are really horrible to her sometimes. And then at other times they're sort of protective and loving. And I, I like the way that they came to life and just seemed like real people. So I think those are the characters I've done best. I think the characters that I have not done such a good job on are fortunately ones that are not published. So I don't ever have to worry about that. And we'll just pretend that they never happened. And you you don't need to know. Howard? I'm going to fall on my sword here. Uh, the entire first year of Schlock Mercenary is full of terrible caricaturization because the characters themselves were caricatures and I wasn't consistent with them. And... My idea of I I didn't even realize that I was writing a cast full of people who were like me. Um, who were for starters, there was I think one female. Um, had no idea that this was what I was doing. I was just writing something that was fun. Um, I got better to <laughs> to quote Monty Python. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the whole first year of that, um, I'm not happy with the caricaturizations. I'm not happy with the cast. Um, but, uh, you have the misfortune of having, and the fortune of having your first year, anyone could just go look at it. Anyone can like, just yeah. go the rest read of us, it. They're in the trunk and you have to, you know, go to Dan's Patreon to see any of this. <laughs> see all and, that's, well, and that's one of the reasons stuff. why I'm just going to pick all of them as yeah. bad because for any given week of comics, you are going to find things that just ring wrong for that character if you've read them uh, no, that's later legit. in the strip. That's legit. Um, the one that I am, I mean, there's several characters that I'm very happy with uh, currently, uh, but the one that I think I have honestly done the best job with uh, was, and I can't remember their name right now. They're the uh, the ancient uh, uh, ancient Oafan librarian who uh, who now speaks Gal Standard West with a Gal Standard peroxide accent, uh, which is full of lots of gerunds and wind metaphors and water metaphors. And writing that voice, I mean, they've only got maybe thirty lines of dialogue in the strip. But every one of them reads to me like perfectly in-character alien poetry. And it was hard to do. I spent a lot of time on it. And when I go back and read it, I get sense of wonder from that character, which just doesn't happen to me with the other characters I've written. So can I turn this around at the risk of running wildly over time and ask us to uh, point out great characters from each other? 
and I will start. I'll go ahead and start. Okay. Uh, because one of one of my favorite characters of Howard's is um, one of the many iterations of uh, Captain Tagon. Um, because, you know, they die and they come back. And there is one of the strips where he sacrifices himself basically by running a massive warhead into a room full of enemies and killing them all. And enough of him survives in, you know, a data bank somewhere that they bring him back a few years later. And now the new version of Tagon is one who has to live up to the legacy of himself and realize... I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could run a nuclear warhead into a room. I don't know if that's who I really am. He is a fascinating character, and I love him. All right. I'll I, go with Lynn. Okay. Uh, I really like the stepdad. He was, and he's not on the screen that much, but the, the, the menacing slash loving mixture that he balanced back and forth with where I couldn't decide if I were scared of him or if I were thinking of this protagonist, the main character, I'm like, uh, half the time I'm like, oh, you're just an idiot. He obviously loves you. Stop, like, you're being a teenage idiot. And then I'd be like, he might be scary. <laughs> um, and th- that was part of what get, I mean, that was what, not part of, that's what pulled me through that book. Um, page to page was the mystery of this person and who he was. Okay, and I'm going to name one of your characters that probably doesn't get talked about too much, Alcatraz. Oh, okay. I just loved that idea of, and, and, and part of it is just the world that it was set in, but I love the idea of, I think that we are all so flawed and just thinking how nice would it be if some of these things could be looked at as as positive things i think that would that's like a dream so howard now you have to say something about dan <laughs> um yeah the character didn't live very long uh it's the second book the cat um, <laughs> no, awesome. no 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 uh john cleaver's mom John Cleaver's mom, whose arc is beautiful and heartbreaking and perfect in ways that John Cleaver's arc never could be. Um, I mean, I like John Cleaver as a character, but his mom gets... The best hero moment in the entire series. She gets the best hero moment in the entire series, and in terms of... And it is because, in part... Her role as mother is already societally sort of the role of saint, and she excels at that in a situation where anybody else would run screaming, terrified from what's going on. And uh, so, I don't remember her name. She's just John Cleaver's mom. She probably had a name, huh? April. April. Now that we're done (laughs) patting ourselves on the back... (laughs) That was actually really good, Dan. That that would have been a better way to phrase that question is we pick our worst and someone else picks our best. Um, we are done with the year of character. Uh, next year, assuming I finish the outline and it looks good, <laughs> is going to be world building. So we will do a year very of excited world that. building. Um, we don't know where the cruise is yet because we're recording this in January of 2018 or <laughs> December of 2018. But... Those go up in January usually, right? Yeah, so um, yeah. We'll I have think a big we'll find out next week actually where the cruise is. And your uh, your homework, by the way, is 
as is tradition in our last episodes of the year, we just say you have no homework. Uh, you may go and enjoy the holidays uh, and not feel stressed that you're not getting your writing done for this week. We give you an excuse to take some time off. But if you feel guilty, flip back through the homework you've done and try to identify something that you've gotten better at in the last 12 months. Awesome. We are, as always, very thankful to our patrons for supporting us. Thank you to our listeners for supporting us. Thank you, Valin, for being on the podcast this Thank year you. with us. And this has been Writing Excuses, a year of character. You're, yeah, you got an excuse this time. But if you feel like it, go write anyway. Happy New Year, guys. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.